Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. Well, how's everybody doing? I know uh, I want to just say thank you to Mason. Where he? There he is. Mason, thanks for covering the last couple weeks. Did an awesome job. Yes. Oh, and I caught him eating. Yes. It's, it's funny. We may talk about this at some point, but if you caught his, his second message about the master... What I, I just happened that Sunday in my daily reading to be studying in the Gospels, it was in Mark, and what I found fascinating, and I'm glad you brought that to our attention, Mason, but what I found fascinating is uh, Judas only referred to him as master, and it's a, it's a typology or a picture of the apostasy right within the church that, hey, they, they even though someone may call Jesus Jesus or act like they know him. They don't really know him. And I just thought that was really fascinating. Just happened to be that same day to make that connection. Okay, so before we get started, we always, is this working, Aaron, or do I need to turn this on? Let's see. Maybe if I hobble to my left, it'll be closer. No? <laughs> Can you go to the next slide? Okay. Not sure why it's not working. We'll figure this out. Okay, so before, as we're studying prophecy, um, kind of like I've mentioned a couple of times, anytime we are studying this, the enemy will try to, to let a spirit of fear sink in. There's no doubt into our lives, into the lives of our, of our family. It, and fear is a, is a strange thing. It's a wicked slave master that will make you do things that you don't want to do, but you are trying to do it out of what? Self-preservation for something, right? And so before we, when we open up to study God's word, let's just open in a prayer against that and, and pray over this time together. The verses here, 2 Timothy 1, 7 through 10, as a reminder, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. It's a trinity. He's given us a trinity, not a spirit of fear. Power, love, and sound mind. That is a reflection of, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because you wash your mind with the water of the word. Uh, for God so loved the world, and all power and authority has been given to the Son. So it's a, a trinity. Our mind is supposed to be more reflecting a trinity, not a spirit of fear. So Lord, we come before you, and God, we thank you so much for this time together. We pray that, God, you would anoint this study. God, from 1 John 2.27, that you will teach us all things, God. That is your promise. And Lord, we pray against any spirit of fear that would seek to take root or take even a foothold in the lives of your people during this time. God, as we survey the horizon and, and we study the times to know the seasons that we are in in your word, God, we pray that right now you would come forward and just be with us and teach us everything, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. See if it, 
Oh, you got it, Aaron? Thank you, Aaron. Double Aaron. Still not working. Oh, there we go. Okay, it works. All right. So in, in, as we opened up the study, we were laying a lot of groundwork for the rapture of the church, which then allows the rise of the Antichrist. We studied the 70 weeks of Daniel. We studied what triggers the start of the seven-year tribulation or the 70th week of Daniel, the Antichrist, confirming a covenant with Israel. We studied the preparation for the next temple. If you remember, that was kind of in part two. We were looking at the Temple Institute, what they have ready in terms of building the temple. We looked at, in the middle of the tribulation, how the Antichrist will cause the sacrifices in the next temple to cease, and he will demand worship. That's in the back half of the seven-year period. The Antichrist will cause, that's what's referred to in the Bible as the abomination of desolation or the abomination that causeth desolation. And you can find it three spots in God's word. Matthew 24, 15, Jesus makes reference to it. Daniel 9, 27, which we'll look at here in a second. 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. We also studied Israel's readiness to receive a false Messiah. We looked at that guy uh, who's referred to as the Yanuka. Yanuka means child prodigy, the one that they're attributing all of those miracles to, and Israel's readiness to receive that false Messiah. Again, not saying that he is the false Messiah, but you can certainly see from some of those videos we watched, his, the readiness of the people to receive one as Messiah. And this, I made reference to this, but this glass wall that we're viewing the world through, so this is... This is maybe a very elementary chart. I used a lot of clip art. I used uh, my <laughs> Microsoft Shapes, but I, hopefully you get the idea about what we're doing here. I could, this, there's not a chart out there like this, and so I'm trying to, I may get a professional to help me make one that's better looking, but okay, so we have the cross, right? The cross, Jesus, he's crucified. The church is created after the, at the day of Pentecost, 50 days, right, after he's resurrected, Creation of the church, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down. That age has lasted for about 1,991 years, roughly, so far. And that's the period of time that we are in, this period of time on the left between the creation of the church and the rapture of the church. And it's detailed in the seven letters to the seven churches, Revelation 2 and 3. And that paradigm, that if you haven't studied that, each letter to the seven churches covers an era of church history. And the time that we are in right now is the last letter, the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm apostate church. And as we continue this study, we're going to look at a lot of examples of where you can see that today in the lukewarm apostate church. But that's the age that we are in. So we are looking toward the rapture. Well, in the meantime, all we are promised is that we are not going to see who the Antichrist is. That's all we're promised. Okay, so keep that in mind. It doesn't mean that we won't see the setup for this, this entity, person, whomever it is, to walk in and take control of the beast system. Now, when you study the beast system, it has a lot of attributes. I've listed this is not an all-inclusive list, but it's all mainly from Revelation 13 Daniel 7, and some other chapters in the Bible. But you can look at it. It's, there's a, it's a global government. There's a, going to be one world religion because he's going to demand worship. We're going to see that next week. 
He's going to control all buying and selling. You won't be able to make a transaction of some kind without a mark. He's going to demand worship or death. There's a false peace, and you can reference that in 1 Thessalonians 5.3. It's going to rise up out of 10 kingdoms. We're going to look at that in detail too. It actually has two leaders, the Antichrist and the false prophet. It'll be categorized by lying signs and wonders. It'll be the final Gentile kingdom from Daniel 2 and 7. And it's going to be fear-driven governance. Now, the time between the rapture and the Antichrist is not defined in the Bible. So I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but it's kind of like you and I are looking through a glass wall at the setup of this system. So you're seeing this system put in place, and it's really, frankly, for the first time in history, a system is being established that someone or something will walk into and control. Every other time before this, most recently Hitler, all the way back to Nimrod, it was always a person, a leader standing up trying to usher a system in. Well, Satan could never get it to work. And so he's, he's doing the opposite now. He's getting the world to buy into a system and he will have someone ready to walk into it. That's the difference that you and I need to see in the world that we're living in today. So it's kind of like this glass wall that we're looking through, and the system is starting to bleed over into the church age. I hope this makes sense, because you're seeing the setup right now. Really, frankly, you've been seeing the setup for the last three plus years. But that system is being put in place, and what the next thing that will happen is there will be 10 regional governments in the world. That's what the Bible describes. And we're going to look at that today. And then next week, I have some maps to show you. But there's, there's a system being put in place that, frankly, is, is something that should not let, you should not let fear set in because of it. All it means is that you and I are one step closer to going home. That's all it means. And so what it, what it should do is give you and I a sense of urgency to be about the king's business today and not delay. So if you remember, I'm not going to cover this whole slide again, but if you remember Daniel 9.27, remember this triggers the start of the 70th week of Daniel. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. So the Antichrist will confirm a covenant with Israel it triggers the start of the 70th week of Daniel, the final seven-year period of man before Jesus returns and we are with him in Revelation 19. And in the middle of that seven-year period, the Antichrist will cause the sacrifices in the soon-to-be-built temple to stop. And that's also declared in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away or a departure first. And that man of sin be revealed. Remember, that's one of the titles of Antichrist in the New Testament. The son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. So keep in mind, as you're seeing a one world religion get set up right now, if you, if you haven't studied Chrislam, we'll look at that next week, but they're actually, I think they opened the first site in the Middle East, a couple, maybe at the end of February, where there's a synagogue, a mosque, and a church all on the same property under the banner of the Abrahamic faith. 
And so we can all come and, and sing Kumbaya and worship God together and be together in this one complex. And you hear a lot of the Christian church saying, well, the Muslims worship the same God that we do as Christians. And the Jews saying, yeah, I think they do worship the same God. You know, we worship the same God. And what it is, is it's a, it's a gigantic lie from the enemy because there is no other God than Jesus. And so if the Muslims are saying Muhammad is God, he's not Jesus. He's someone different. But it's, they're trying to slowly let it creep in. And it's weird. Why is it always a serpent? One of these places has a giant serpent statue on it. It's always the serpent. But that's how you know the root of it is Satan. So he's going, the Antichrist, though, will exalt himself above all that is called God. That includes Buddha, Muhammad, anyone else in the world, and will demand everyone to bow a knee and worship him. Now, at the end of today's message, we're going to look at a video of how that might physically happen. It's really interesting. But he's going to be in the temple of God. That's how you know another temple will be built, showing himself that he is God. Okay. This is where Jesus references this, Matthew 24, 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, it's all the way back from Daniel 9, stand in the holy place. Now, there's a, there's a technology statement here in that how can you see something, when this was written over 2,000 years ago almost now, how can you see something that's in the holy of holies in the temple of God? You know, you and I in the United States would not be able to see that back then. But today, it will be a gigantic breaking news story. Okay, think about in the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist taking his place and walking into the temple, declaring himself to be God. There'll be cameras everywhere. The world will see it. They'll know what's going on. And he's going to demand worship after that. That's why Jesus says from that point forward will be, like, will be trouble unlike the world has ever seen, nor will see again, because the back half of the tribulation is the worst three and a half years of human history, and that's what starts it right there. Okay, you see this in 2 Thessalonians 2.1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him at the rapture, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit, that could be a clean or unclean spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Now, when you study the day of Christ, it is the rapture. It's the time that Christ will gather his bride, his church, and that you and I then will stand before him, and everything in our lives is tested. And you can look that up from, I think it's 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, to get a feel for what that's all about. But look what we're not to do. We're not to be shaken in mind or troubled at what we see coming. Okay, that's the key. Let no man deceive you. There is a lot of deception right now going on in the church. And a lot of Christians are being led astray by, hey, everything's okay. It's, it's well, we're not, we'll get that later. But, but there's, a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things going on in the church that is deception, Right? Because what does a baby Christian want to hear? If you have a new Christian or, or someone, what they're doing is they're blending sanctification and justification. So all are welcome to come to Christ and get saved. But once you do that, he commands and actually demands to have a relationship that you change. 
He demands, he has a, God has a standard, and praise God that he does, that he doesn't want to leave you and I in the sin that he delivered us out of. And so part of the problem with the church today is that all, all are welcome to come, and then they teach that, well, you can stay there. If, you, if you're okay with fill in the blank, that's okay. God loves you as you are. You can stay there. Indeed, he does love you, but he demands that you get, go through a sanctification process and surrender your life to him. But let no man deceive you. The Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist, will deceive the church. It's why I, I've often wondered the day after the, or the Sunday after the rapture, how many churches will be filled you know, at that point? Will people even know what's going on? It, it will be an event, a global event, but it's, there's a lot of deception in the church right now, and we're going to study that in the coming weeks. But for that day shall not come except there come a falling away or a departure first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things. I love how the Holy Spirit through Paul is always, is always beating in their head. Don't you guys remember any conversation we've had? Don't you remember I told you this three times? Why do I have to keep repeating it? I've often wanted to go, as I read through the Bible every year, I've often wanted to take a list and just copy down every verse that Jesus repeats himself to say something. Because I think if you boil it down, there's a lot of times that he repeats himself. Just interesting. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. See, the Holy Spirit is, re is withholding the revealing of the Antichrist. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth, that's the Holy Spirit, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. In two verses, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8, the Lord covers the church up until the rapture, the time for the Antichrist to rise, the seven-year period, and then Jesus returning and consuming him with the sword of the spirit, the word of his mouth. If you remember in Revelation 19, what, how does Jesus vanquish his enemies? It's with his word. He comes back and he speaks, and Zechariah details how they just literally melt away and the eyes within their sockets disappear and Jesus just melts them away with the word of his mouth. He will consume them. See, it's often, oftentimes today, the church, we don't look at Jesus enough as a warrior king. We look at him more as because he is a humble servant that came to die for us. But he has a second whole role that we need to get familiar with because I don't know about you, but it excites me to serve a king that is a warrior king, that will not stand by and let evil have its way. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. You're seeing a lot of lying wonders right now start to take place in the world, and they're going to ramp up. And Jesus said that they would deceive the very elect if they were possible. So praise God that they are not possible. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So just keep in mind, there's a lot of deception that's going to come on. Those that perish had a chance and they didn't receive the love of God. 
one of the greatest ministries or outbreak of ministries ever will be during the tribulation. God's going to empower two witnesses. We went through that in Revelation. It's, it's likely Moses and Elijah, but the, world, the word of God doesn't say. But he's going to empower them. He's going to seal 144,000, spreading the gospel all over the world. Angels are flying through heaven, declaring the word of God. And in the salvation, the road to salvation is the same. It's through the blood of Christ and through faith in him. It's just a very hard road to do that. You will not be able to live like we are living today. Okay, so this beast system, it starts out, it's prophesied all the way back in Genesis 3.15 when God declares, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Remember, those are biologically incorrect. The seed is not in the woman. So it's predicting a virgin birth all the way from the beginning of the Bible. And so Jesus, the, the Lord will put enmity, war, between the seed of the woman, Jesus, and the seed of the serpent. And the serpent's going to bruise his heel on the cross, and Jesus will crush his head in Revelation 19 and at the end of the millennium when he returns. So God is declaring war at the very beginning of the Bible. And so don't miss that, that God is fighting for us. He's declaring war. Now, when you look at this beast system, it's mainly detailed the most detail we have of it is in Revelation 13. And so we're going to go through the front half of Revelation 13 and look at how this is being set up and start digging into the back half next week when the Antichrist will demand worship. What is, the, what is going on with the mark and how do you see that today, the mark of the beast? Uh, what is going on with the track and trace, surveillance, AI, all of that? So in Revelation 13, 1, and I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Okay, if you've never studied Revelation, just keep in mind, it is written in chronological order. The church is chapters two and three, chapter one is the revealing of Jesus, who he is. In fact, the title of the book is the unveiling the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, the unveiling of who Jesus Christ is as our conquering glorified king. That's all in chapter one. Chapter two and three is the seven letters of seven churches. The rapture occurs in chapter four, verse one. We are in the throne room, and then Jesus comes forward to take the scroll, and the seven-year tribulation begins. Okay, so there's, it, it's written in order, so don't let it confuse you. But from chapter four on, Every time in the Jewish culture, they call it a heptatic structure. So there's six seals, and then God takes a break, and he describes a lot of what's going on. And then the seventh seal unleashes seven trumpets. And then there's six trumpets. There's a break, okay, and the Lord describes some other things. The seventh trumpet unleashes the seven bowls. So it's, the Jews call it a heptatic structure, the way it's broken down. But Revelation 13 is kind of in one of those parenthesis areas that the Lord's taking some time to describe something else going on. Okay, so the Lord is showing you the rise of this beast system in Revelation 13. And it's got seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Everywhere you see the Antichrist in the Bible, he is spewing blasphemy at God. And so if you pay attention to the WEF, we're going to use some acronyms here so we don't get kicked off of whatever we're streaming on right now. 
uh, any system. So the WEF, the World Forum of Economy. Okay, but put those words in, in different order, okay? It's the World Forum of Economy. Now, why, are they, why do they have a world economy anyway as a forum? I don't, it, it, that alone should get your attention that there's some globalism going on. But this, the rise of the, the beast all throughout the Bible, he is spewing about Jesus' blasphemies. Now, if you pay attention to one of the individuals at the head of the WEF, his name is Yoval Noah Harari. He's a Jewish homosexual that openly blasphemes God every chance he can. He talks bad about Jesus. Now, it's interesting because he never denies Jesus. He only will open his mouth and say, well, all God could do is create organic matter and humankind. And notice he always refers to us as humankind, not not uh, people or persons or man or anything like that. We're just a species to these people, okay? So you have to read through what they're saying. And he goes on, he'll go on a lot, and I'm going to show some video clips in the coming weeks of this guy, but he'll go on to say, you know, what we are doing, we are going to go above God that's in heaven, and we're going to create transhumanism, right, where man can live forever without being born again. That's their goal. So man can live forever. It's, if you haven't studied transhumanism, look that up. It's uh, creating basically AI, cyborgs, and machine and combining them with humans. So they're trying to do that right now. But this guy is a, you're seeing a foreshadowing of the false prophet because he speaks against Jesus constantly. Okay, one of the coming world leaders is commonly referred to as the Antichrist is this the beast, okay, in Revelation 13 that's coming out. The other's the false prophet who will cause the world to worship the beast. Okay, so keep in mind, there's always two people. The beast out of the sea in Revelation 13 is likely the Antichrist. He's likely a Gentile. Now, this is just my guess, so you've got to search the scriptures out on your own, but coming out of the sea, it's funny how the Holy Spirit uses the same idiom throughout the Bible, But Isaiah 57, 20, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. Isaiah 10, 24, therefore thus saith the Lord God of hosts, O my people that dwellest in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. Okay, three times in the Bible, God refers to this guy as the Assyrian. Now, the Assyrian empire is one that we've never even seen on our horizon, It's interesting, there's actually a group of Assyrians living in California. Uh, If you looked at Assyria on an ancient map, it kind of overlaps modern-day Iraq and Syria, that area, a little bit of Iran. But it's an area, it was a mighty kingdom long before Egypt. And so the Assyrian Empire. But the Lord refers to this guy, the Antichrist, as the Assyrian in Isaiah 14, 25, um, Isaiah 10, 24, and Micah 5, 5 through 6. Okay, when he says, be not afraid of the Assyrian, he shall smite thee with a rod and shall lift up his staff against thee after the manner of Egypt. Okay, Isaiah 14, 25, that I will break the Assyrian in my land. Now, when you study Daniel 11, 2, he comes into the glorious land to put his tent, his fortress there, basically, and declares himself to be God and to try to rule over God's land. Well, that's not going to end well for him, but... I will break the Assyrian in my land, and upon my mountains tread him underfoot. Then shall his yoke depart from off of them, and his burden depart from off their shoulders. Micah 5, 5 through 6, and this man shall be the peace 
when the Assyrian shall come into our land and when he shall tread in our palaces, then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. And they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod and the entrances thereof. Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian when he come into our land and when he treadeth within our borders. Okay, look at Revelation 17, verse 15. And he saith unto me, the waters which thou sawest were where the whore sitteth are people and multitudes and nations and tongues. So when you study again with Revelation, there's a beast, but there's this harlot system, this false religious system that the Antichrist is taking advantage of. And it is all nations and people and tongues. That's why I put that verse in there from Revelation 17. It's the whole world. It's not just Israel or some system. It's, it's everyone. Okay, the word beast here in, in verse 1 is therion. It means a ferocious beast. It's different from the word beast in chapters 4 and 5. So when we have the four living beasts or four living creatures surrounding God's throne, it's a different, it's a different word in the Greek. Okay, and the phrase for seven heads and ten horns is also used throughout Daniel and Revelation. So this is where God gives us a, us a clue of the beast system. It's going to start out as ten kings. That's why there's ten horns. But the Antichrist rises up out of it, puts three of them down, which is why there are only seven crowns. So there's ten horns, seven crowns, and then they all consolidate their power under the beast. Okay, in Daniel 2 and 7, you can see this. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar has the dream in Daniel 2 that are the different metals of the Gentile kingdoms. Daniel sees the same thing in Daniel 7, but it's a ferocious beast. They're not metallic in nature. He sees them as God views them, as these ferocious Gentile kingdoms that should not be ruling the world. Okay, in Revelation 12, 3, the seven heads and ten horns, it's all over the Bible. But Revelation 12, 3, and there appeared another wonder in heaven and behind, behold, a great red dragon. We know that's Satan. He's the, he's the red dragon. Having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. You see it in Revelation 17, 3. So he carried me away into the spirit of the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. That woman is the false religious system that the Antichrist will consume and take over. And we, we studied that in great detail in Revelation, but we'll look at it a little bit in the coming weeks. In Revelation 17, verse 7, And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. So you see this constantly, the seven heads and ten horns. It's all over the place. Revelation 17, verse 9, and here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Now, when you dive, if you dive into that verse in detail, it likely has a dual meaning of Rome, which was ruling the world when this letter was written by Jesus, because Rome is built on seven mountains. And if you look at the Vatican as, as a with this harlot religious system that's trying to unite the world, surely they are doing that right now. They're also looking at trying to baptize an alien, right? So they, they get into all kinds of, of weird occultic things. But in Revelation, but the seven mountains also are Satan's seven super kingdoms from Assyria to Rome. 
there's seven Gentile kingdoms that have ruled the world over time. Okay, in verse 12 in chapter 17, and the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. So the ten kings are in place during the tribulation, but they receive power with the Antichrist. So it's important to rightly divide the word of God here in that you and I may actually see the world separate into ten kingdoms. All we're, again, I'm just reminding everybody, all we are promised is that we will not see the Antichrist. I'm not saying we will, but the Bible doesn't forbid us to. Does that make sense? So we're trying, we're trying to look at what is God allowing us to see so that we know the seasons, we can be prepared, and we know what to do for him. And the ten horns are these ten kings because the ten kings are in the tribulation, but the Antichrist will give them authority, greater authority in the tribulation. He puts three of them down. And you see this in Revelation 17 and again back in Daniel 7. The ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, the false religious system, and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. That sounds, uh, there's probably a lot more going on there. Okay, you go back to Daniel 7, verse 7. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue at the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. So remember when Daniel is seeing the beasts, there's a, a table here in a minute where you can get an overview of all of this, but when he sees the beasts, they go in this reverse order, and the last one is this fourth beast that is terrible. It has ten horns, and it's diverse from all the other beasts that were before it. Uh, I mentioned Brandon earlier. He's going to come speak here in May. He brought this to my attention that one of the things that's diverse from all the other beasts before it is something that Rome did that none of the other kingdoms did. If you study Babylon, Greece, or Babylon, Persia, and Greece, all three of them when they would conquer a land, would just wipe it out and take some prisoners, mostly just kill people, and then leave the land kind of desolate and move on. Rome was different in that they practiced what we would know in the modern day as imperialism. So they would go conquer a land and then set up proxies to rule that land and try to annex it. That's why in the Gospels you see Jesus and you see Herod and Pilate and these different people they were proxies from Rome to rule a land. They didn't come and just wipe people out. They wanted peace and then all of the economy of that land to float back to Rome. That's what they did that was different than the other kingdoms. And so when you study the Antichrist, that's what he will do. He wants to take and subdue lands and annex them so that he can have power and authority, not just leave it desolate. And you see that in modern day, remember the British Empire, they, they had that saying, the sun never set on the British Empire because they had annexed so many properties or, or land and nations all around the world, literally the sun never set on land that they had. That's the same thing. They were practicing imperialism, but that's what's going to make that system different than the others. In verse 20 here, and of the 10 horns that were in his head and of the other which came up and before whom three fell. So there's where we know the little horn of Daniel 
well, is the Antichrist, it takes out three of the kings. And then they, the other seven consolidate power to him. Even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth, there we go, a mouth that spake very great things against the Most High, whose look was more stout than his fellows. In verse 24, and the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. The Lord repeats it again. So the ten kings rise up to usher in the final world system. The Antichrist gives them power after putting three of them down, and which is why there are ten horns, but only, again, seven crowns. Now you can kind of see this. It, today, it's amazing, even in, in God's word, it says these are ten kings which have no kingdom as yet. And isn't it funny how over the last three years you have seen who is making laws and rules and regulations that the world's nations are following? It's this WEF and all these people that are unelected officials that nobody voted for them. Nobody voted to say, yeah, I want, I want the World Health Organization to manage our nation in times of a, of a pandemic or something. Nobody, none of us voted for that. It's called imperialism. That's why they're doing that. And you're seeing these are, these are kings that they may not even have a nation or a sovereign land. They just may be, maybe they're 10 oligarchs or somebody. You know, think about all these wealthy individuals that kind of are ruling the world behind the scenes that we've been getting a peek behind the curtain of for the last three years. But this is when, when Jesus references the times of the Gentiles, this is what he's talking about. So when you had in Daniel 2, the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, gold, silver, brass, iron, and then iron mixed with clay, he saw five Gentile kingdoms that would rule the world. He was the gold, then Persia was silver, Greece was brass, Rome was iron, and then the final kingdom with the ten toes represent the ten kings, the iron mixed with clay. Daniel saw them as these ferocious beasts, the winged lion, Remember, uh, Nebuchadnezzar grew feathers like, a, like an eagle, and they, he was set out to be corrected by God. The bear, Persia was the bear on its side with the ribs in its mouth. The leopard in Gre for Greece was swiftly as it conquered the world. Alexander the Great conquered the world uh, by the age, I think, of 30, or maybe it was 31. And he's, he laid on his bed and wept because there were no other lands to conquer on the earth. He was so distraught. He had nothing else to do with his life at that point in his mind. And then he saw Rome as the terrible beast with the ten heads. But there's a, a table kind of showing all of that laid out. The times of the Gentiles is until Jesus returns. It's not until the rapture. So keep that in mind. That's why the Gentiles will rule in Jerusalem and the Antichrist will rule in the tribulation until Jesus returns. Okay, that's when Jesus said the time, Jerusalem will be trodden underfoot until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Okay, in verse 2 here, And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. See, John is seeing them in reverse order as Daniel. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Daniel 7, it goes a lion, bear, and a leopard. Here in, in Revelation 13, it's a leopard, bear, and then a lion. So it likely could just be the way the Holy Spirit's looking through time as those have unfolded. But if you think about 
the lion communicates very arrogantly. The bear conquers completely and extensively, while the leopard expands very quickly. It's very swift. And that's exactly how the Lord profiled those kingdoms when they were ruling the world. Okay, verse 3 here. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. Now, three times in Revelation 13, we get a physical uh, description of the Antichrist that he will be wounded. And it's, it's something that marks, marks his, I guess, his campaign of power, so to speak, in that he is wounded, and it's a false resurrection. It's a, he, the world thinks he dies, but he comes back. And the head wound is described in Zechariah 11, verse 17. Woe to the idle shepherd, that's another title of, of this guy, that leaveth the flock. Remember, he, re, he turns on Israel. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. That's part of the reason why the mark is taken on the right hand or the forehead. Okay, it's, it's because it's where he's wounded. And he's an idol, not I-D-L-E, like your idol in, in not doing anything. Okay, in verse 4 here, And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Can you imagine the world seeing the Antichrist? He's to be ruling the earth, and then they, they all sit back. Boy, I don't know anybody that can, that can make war with the beast. Well, there is one that will make war with him. His name's Jesus, and you and I get to come back and watch him make war with him. Psalms 2 details that out, that why did the heathen rage in the vain or the peoples imagine a vain thing. They will knowingly take up arms against Jesus in Revelation 19. And all through the tribulation, they will be blaspheming him, wanting to make war with him. It's kind of staggering when you think about it, how arrogant Satan is, that he thinks he can make war with Jesus and win. But you and I will get to be a part of that. I've We've talked about it some in here, but I kind of wish Jesus, when we came back with him, would let us just give us 30 seconds or something to go out and, and, and fight some. But we don't. We get to sit there on our white horses and watch him just utterly destroy them with the word of his mouth. And it's going to be awesome. So in verse 5 here, And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. See, the Lord is allowing this to happen because before he can return, he's got to weed out everyone that is not with him. He can't come back and set up the Messianic kingdom with sin still ruling and reigning on the earth. But if you, we won't go through all these verses here, but look at Daniel 7, 8, 11, 36, Psalms 52, 4 through 5, and 2 Thessalonians 2 through 4. A characteristic of this guy is he's always running his mouth and blaspheming God constantly. So when you hear someone blaspheming the Lord, just know where that doctrine comes from. It comes from Satan. And there's one thing to keep in mind too. Satan would have you blaspheme your brother and sister in Christ because he is an accuser of the brethren from Revelation 12. And so when you have something going on in your life and conflict arises... 
Satan, it's very easy for Satan to get his foot in the door and to get you to, to accuse someone of something, to make an accusation. That is a doctrine from Satan. Instead of speaking life into that individual, again, one of my, one of my wife's favorite things to ask people when they have a problem with someone is, how are you praying for them? <laughs> and it's a very simple way to deflate the whole situation, right? Because it's hard to be angry at someone when you're on your knees praying for them. It's really difficult. And it's one way to withstand the enemy here. But power is given to the Antichrist, to the beast, by the Lord. The Lord is allowing this. And he's able to continue for 42 months. Now, this half-week designation is all over the Bible. Remember, it's, it's 1,260 days in Revelation 11 and 12. It's 42 months in Revelation 11 and 13. It's time, times, and the dividing of time in Daniel 7, 12, and Revelation 12. And times is a dual in Hebrew. It means two. Uh, the reference is also used as on Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4, 23, I'm sorry, 4, verse 16, verse 23, and verse 25. So you can kind of track those down. But it's seven years. Remember, God's time is always 360-day years. Seven years, 42 months would be half of that. 1,260 days would be half of that. And three and a half years or time, times, and the dividing of time is half of that. That period of time, when you see those phrases in the Bible, note that God is pointing out something prophetic in the future, and it's, re it's in reference to the seven-year period. Okay, in verse 6 here, and he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Okay, three things the Antichrist will blaspheme. God's name, his tabernacle, the temple, and a group that dwells in heaven. And that group, it could be a reference here to the, the rapture. It could be to us. It could be he's blaspheming us in heaven. He's so upset that God got us out of here before he could try to overcome the church and take us with him. And Psalms 83 verse 3, when we get into the portion of studying uh, wars that are coming up in the Bible, we'll take a deep dive at Psalms 83 because it's, it's a war against Israel of all the surrounding nations. And they're going to try to wipe Israel off the map. It hasn't happened yet, but that's a prophetic sign on the horizon. But in Psalms 83 verse 3, they have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. I've always found that fascinating. It's like another, another mention to the rapture. Okay, in verse 7 here. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. See, in the beast system, the Antichrist is going to overcome the saints. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Now, we know this is another hint that the church cannot be here because we are promised that Satan will not overcome the church and prevail against us. So look at this in Daniel 7, 21 through 22. I beheld in the same horn, the little horn, that's the Antichrist, made war with the saints and prevailed against them. For how long? until the ancient of days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. See, this is, a, this, is, this is one verse right here that you know that the kingdom will not come, the millennial reign of Christ will not come until Christ comes and sets it up on the earth. And we get the kingdom with him. 
We will possess it with him, okay? But the kingdom now kind of movement that, that that's not going to happen, Jesus is going to usher in his kingdom through the church today, is a, it's a false teaching that Satan uses to get the church to not focus on serving Christ immediately to make disciples and to spread the gospel because we're going to be out of here in the rapture at any moment. It's, well, that means you need to go collect more things, right? Because you've got to set up the kingdom. You've got to expand your wealth. You need more land. You need more resources. You need this, this, and this. And the reality is our inheritance is not here on the earth. It's in heaven, and we get to come back with Jesus, and he's going to use us to help set up the millennial kingdom, uh, not beforehand. So between now and then, let's make disciples and spread the gospel. But look what Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, Jesus is pointing to himself there. He's not pointing to Peter. He's saying upon this rock, because who's the rock all through the Bible? It's Jesus. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So he, Jesus promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. But in Revelation 13 and Daniel 7, we see the gates of hell prevailing against the saints. That's how you know there's a difference, that the church is not here. And it's a global issue. It's not just localized to Israel. Okay, so keep that in mind. We, they, we will not be prevailed over. In Revelation 13, 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, how will he know if you and I are in Oklahoma City in, our, in the privacy of our own home, how will he know if we are worshiping him or not? There's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a, there's a technology statement here that's something that's so radical I didn't even know it existed until a couple months ago. And we're going to look at a video on it here in a second. But everyone that has ever been created has had their name written in the book of life. So notice it is the, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So from God's perspective, the sacrifice to write your name in that book happened before the world was even created. And that is incredible. So what does that mean for us? The book of life. Let's talk about this in one slide here. The book of life and blotting out those who reject Jesus. This is, this is one of the great deceptions the enemy has pulled on the church, is to get a lot of people to believe that Jesus only died for those that accept him, that he didn't die for everyone. And what it can do, it will cause Christians to retreat and get in their shell because, well, what's the point in ministering or witnessing? If, if Jesus died for them and, and they will accept him, only died for those that will accept him, then they'll accept him at some point. I don't have to do anything and sit back. That's, it will create a sense of apathy. It will create a sense of retreating because, well, Jesus has this all taken care of I don't need to witness or do anything. When the opposite is what the Bible says. The Bible says, God, and God calls all of us to do what? To go forth and make disciples, spread the gospel to the end of the world, and go preach until he calls us home. And so 
this is important. The Lord showed this to me years ago, and it, it answered a lifelong question in my mind. But for whom did Jesus die? Hebrews 2.9, he tasted death for every man. So God, Jesus died for everyone. And you see this again in 2 Corinthians 5.14-15. through 15, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for a select few. Nope, that's not what it says. He died for all. Then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Meaning you and I are not to be selfish because Jesus died for us. He died for everyone. We're to go out and to give and to give and to give everything we can. That means of your time, your talent, your energy, your finances, your resources, whatever it is, you give it for his kingdom and you let him work that to his glory. It's not to yours, but unto, unto him which died for them and rose again. So who does God love, right? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, that's everybody, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the what is the will of God, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So when you think about that, God wants everyone to come to know him. That's his will, and he died for everyone. You see this in a very subtle way in the book of life. You can find this in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament where Jesus makes a statement that if you reject him, he has to blot you out of his book, which means you were written there. It means that your name is written there for the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And you see this in Psalm 69, 28, let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. Exodus 32, 32 through 33, yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, remember Moses is petitioning God here, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. Moses was willing to trade his salvation for the children of Israel. That's, pretty, that's, that's a deep love for your people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. That means they had to be written there. In Revelation 3, 5, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, okay? The best place you can find this is Psalms 139, 15 through 16. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect and in thy book all my members were written which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. See, you were formed in the center of the earth by God himself, and your name was written in the Lamb's book of life before any of your members were in existence, before you were even fashioned in your mother's womb. And so, being, yet being unperfect, meaning you weren't saved yet, but you were written there. And the key is, for your name to stay there, you have to accept Jesus, and he will trace your name in the blood of the Lamb. And it's likely a new name because he always has a new name for his people, a white stone with a new name on it. If any man hear, this is to close out, Revelation 13, 9 and 10. If any man hear, have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. 
He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Remember in chapters 2 and 3, God says seven times, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Now, what's going to happen at the end of, of Revelation 19, all of, all of the beast system, the Antichrist, everything that tries to, he try, he's trying to sub, subvert the Lord, the world, enslave humanity, blaspheme Jesus, they will all get what they, is coming to them. And if you read all throughout the Old Testament, this is covered in a lot of spots. But Malachi 4, 1 through 3, I love this to close out. And we've got a short little video clip to watch. It's three minutes. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And that day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. That is true for the Israeli remnant, remnant and us as the church, right? When Jesus wipes these people out, we will be walking over their ashes. It's pretty wild. The soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Okay, we're seeing the, the rise of this system, the ten kings, the, the beast system, total control, total anarchy, a, one, a call for a one-world government. You're seeing all of that over the last three years. You've been watching it develop if you pay attention to any of the headlines. And you're watching it develop in Israel, their readiness to receive a Messiah, their readiness to build the temple, their readiness to call someone Yahweh that is not Yahweh. Now, when you look at this, the defense, I'm sure all of you have heard of DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. It's launched something that if they're showing it to us now, they probably had it for what, 20, 25 years or something. And if they're showing it to us now, they've got something else that you and I, if things were normal, wouldn't see for another 20 plus years. But they call this NEAT, Neural Evidence Aggregation Tool Program, which would triangulate responses to aggregate evidence and determine if the person reading the stimuli statements believes they are true, false, or indeterminate. Okay, it's this NEAT, they call it NEAT. I don't think it's very NEAT, but they think it's NEAT. The guy on the left is, is from the World Forum of Economy. Uh, Yoval Noah Harari, that's the guy I mentioned a minute ago, and... Let's go forward. Yeah. So at the, the annual meeting just, just earlier this month, may have been late February, there was a session on ready for brain transparency. It opened with a short video showing a, a dystopian scenario where employees' brainwaves were not only decoded to determine workplace perform to determine their performance in the workplace, but also to determine whether they are participating in illegal activity. Now, this, this clip's only three minutes, and then we'll pray and get out of here. So, Aaron, can you roll that real quick? Hello, everybody. I'm Nicholas Thompson. I'm the CEO of The Atlantic, and I will be your moderator today. We are going to have an incredible session. Star of the show is Nita Farahani. She's a futurist and legal ethicist at Duke, and she's so smart and so interesting. You're going to learn a ton. This is how it's going to work. We're going to watch a short video. She's going to come on stage and talk, and then we're going to do a little Q&A. 
questions from the audience, and that'll be a wrap, and you'll leave enlightened and excited. So first off, a video. Uh, it's going to make you see the future and understand a wonderful future where we can use brainwaves to fight crime, be more productive, and find love. Let's roll. You're in the zone. Even you can't believe how productive you've been. Your memo is finished. Your inbox is under control. And you're feeling sharper than you have in a decade. Sensing your joy, your playlist shifts to your favorite song. Sending chills up your spine as the music begins to play. You glance at the program running in the background on your computer screen and notice a now familiar sight that appears whenever you're overloaded with pleasure. Your theta brainwave activity decreasing in the temporal regions of your brain. You mentally move the cursor to the left and scroll through your brain data over the past few hours. You can see your stress levels rising as the deadline to finish your memo approached causing a peak in your beta brainwave activity right before an alert popped up, telling you to take a brain break. But what's that unusual change in your brain activity when you're asleep? It started earlier in the month. You send a text message to your doctor with a mental swipe of your cursor. Could you take a quick look at my brain data? Anything to worry about? Your mind starts to wander to the new colleague on your team, whom you know you shouldn't be daydreaming about, given the policy against intra-office romance. But you can't help fantasizing <laughs> just a little. But then you start to worry that your boss will notice your amorous feelings when she checks your brain activity and shift your attention back to the present. You breathe a sigh of relief when the email she sends you later that day congratulates you on your brain metrics from the past quarter, which have earned you another performance bonus. You head home, jamming to the music, with your work-issued brain-sensing earbuds still in. When you arrive at work the next day, a somber cloud has fallen over the office. Along with emails, text messages, and GPS location data, the government has subpoenaed employees' brainwave data from the past year. They have compelling evidence that one of your coworkers has committed massive wire fraud. Now, they're looking for his co-conspirators. You discover they are looking for synchronized brain activity between your coworker and the people he has been working with. While you know you're innocent of any crime, you've been secretly working with him on a new startup venture. Shaking, you remove your earbuds. What do you think? Is it a future you're ready for? Yay. You may be surprised <laughs> to learn that it's a future that has already arrived. Everything in that video that you just saw is based on technology that is already here today. Boy. Reading your thoughts. So they are literally part of the beast system is creating a prison that you, you and I have nowhere to go. Not you and I, because we'll be raptured out of here, but hum mankind, right, has nowhere to go. Look at these quotes from her. Artificial intelligence has enabled advances in decoding brain activity in ways we never before thought possible. We can pick up and decode faces that you're seeing in your mind, simple shapes, numbers, your PIN number to your bank account. We can pick up emotional states like, are you happy or sad or angry? Surveillance of the human brain has a dystopian possibility of being used to exploit and bring to the surface 
our most secret self. That is weird. I, whatever, however you want to look at that, that is weird. But it reminded me of Minority Report. Remember that movie where they would arrest people with Tom Cruise? This was 20 years ago. They'd arrest people for pre-crime thoughts. Remember that? Where they'd go arrest the guy because they would survey their thoughts and, and if he was thinking about a crime. Now, this is the total opposite of what God says in 2 Corinthians 10, 10 verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. See, you and I, you and I will not be here, but the people that are here, imagine if part of what is tied into the mark is submitting brainwave activity, right? They will know if you're worshiping Jesus. You're not going to be able to get away from it. And so that's one of the ways that they'll be able to track down who is not bowing to the Antichrist. It's a weird, that is so, who would willingly put those on today? I don't, I'm not really sure, but that is odd. And it's, it'll be one of those things, right? That, hey, you either wear these or you don't work. And if you don't work, then how are you going to survive? And I think that is fascinating that they are, rolling this technology out and trying to implement it now to read what you and I think. It's super weird. It's a, it's a, she even calls it a dystopian era. But in any case, don't let that fear set in uh, because we won't be here. And Jesus has promised to provide every one of our, of our need, all that we need, according to the riches in Christ Jesus. So as we close out today in prayer, you know, one of the things as we see the rise of this system, just keep in mind again that Satan is after our children. And we've talked a lot about that the last couple of weeks, but he wants to pour his spirit out on our kids, not the spirit of the living God. And so the spirit of fear, anxiety, depression, anger, strife, suicide, rebellion, selfishness, chaos, discord, belittlement, false identity, a sense of worthlessness, brokenness, panic, shame. It goes on and on. Those are attributes of Satan. And he is, he is after, there is a war for our children right now, all over the world. He wants to take out the generation behind us coming up. They have an assignment on, against them. You, you have not seen suicides at this level over the last three years of any other time in human history. And kids are just looking for a way out uh, because they don't understand and a lot of the parents don't understand this is a spiritual war, not a physical one. We don't war against flesh and blood. So we've got a war in the spirit. But the good thing is from Numbers 33 through five, if you are a, a dad, a father in this room, you have authority over your child spiritually and you can come in and you can disallow any vow that the enemy is causing them to, to recite. So when you hear your kids say something like, I just can't take it anymore, or I hate myself, or whatever it is, you step in with the authority of Numbers 33 through 5, and you disallow that vow. But if, look at the back half of this, but if her father disallow her in the day that he heareth, not any of her vows or her bonds wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand. So you and I have that authority. Uh, that goes for mothers too. We have a lot of spiritual authority as parents for the family. So, Lord, we come before you, and God, we just bind any assignment from the enemy on our children. 
Lord, especially as we are studying prophecy in your word. From Revelation 19, Lord, you declare that the spirit, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so you want us to study it and be prepared to see the, the rise and the seasons in front of us. Lord, we pray a mighty hedge of protection around our children, around those in our community, around all of your kids around the world, God. We are praying a hedge of protection that you would war for them, that you would rebuke any assignment from the enemy. Lord, guard our schools, guard our churches, guard your family, Lord. And God, if there is any here today or, or watching online that does not know you, Jesus, we pray that they would humble themselves and that they would confess with their mouth from Romans 10, 9, that you are Lord and that they would be saved forever. We love you and we thank you for guiding us. We thank you for giving us your word. God, I pray that you would be with us in the week ahead and that you'd give all of us strength to press on in exactly what you are calling us to. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time together, God. In Jesus' name, amen.